How you guys doing today? Everybody doing good? All right, good, good. I'm really happy for those that are sitting right here in the front rows. That's really, that's really good. I, got, I need to say a big hello to everybody worshiping with us at our North Platte campus. And those that have escaped the North Platte campus. And the police are still looking for them. They're here in the East venue right now. Uh, it's awesome. Glad to have you guys, man. It's awesome. Yeah, uh, so anyways, I want to say a big hello to those of you worshiping with us online and the unique thing that's happening here at the Kearney campus. Our Kearney campus, we, we don't have our west venue right now. It's under construction. And so we're here in our east venue broadcasting live. And we are also in our senior high auditorium. So I got to say a big hello to everybody worshiping with us in our senior high auditorium as well. So how many of you guys have your, uh, your green band that uh, represents what a soul is worth? Let me see it. Just hold up in the air. Hey, okay. All right. Hey, so... How many of you guys lost it? You wanted to wear it, but you lost it. Okay. How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? How many of you want me to stop talking? Okay, don't answer that question. So the green, the green uh, string, it represents what a soul is worth. Guys, this is so vital. So vital. Like for everybody in our church today, when you came in the doors or when you leave an auditorium, please, I know it sounds so simple and so childish, Right, But tie this green string around your finger and let it remind you every time you see it, what is a soul worth to me? What's a soul worth to me? What is a, what's a soul? Someone who will not spend eternity away from God, but will now spend eternity with God. What is a soul worth to me? That's what the whole series is about, Lost and Found. It's discovering what a soul is worth to God so that, check this out, right? So simple so that our heart and our values can match God's values. I mean, that's, that's ultimately what it means to be a Christ follower, is to let our value system be altered and changed to match Christ. And so we go through God's word with a teaching series like a filter, and we lay it over God's word, and we say, okay, God, what does your word say about your value and your heart for the lost to be found? And we looked at, last week, we looked at Luke chapter 15. Now, if you were not here last week, please go to mynewlifechurch.com where you can watch that sermon. And by the way, all of the sermons of this year and beyond that. But we looked in Luke chapter 15 and we discovered that here's God's heart for the lost, that he would leave the 99 and he would go after the one. It doesn't mean that he doesn't value the 99. Let's be really clear about that. Wouldn't it be super foolish that he would you know, leave 99 people to go hunt after one and leave the other 99 like, to just like fend for themselves, right? Like I don't really see God's heart being that way. I see God's heart cherishing the found, the 99, but he longs for 100%. I think that's one of the keys that that piece of scripture tells us is that God doesn't settle in his heart for anything less than 100% of humanity following him and surrendering their life to him now if the church like new life in other churches if we were to think the same way how many churches would we need to plant so that a hundred percent of nebraska would have an opportunity to hear a life-giving message of jesus many 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 more what about the whole world what would we have to do to raise up new pastors what would we have to do to find people that would leave industry and seek after a call that God would, would put in their heart so that they would go and sacrifice everything? What would it look like for our personal finances, 
What about our prayer life? What about our time? See, if we really had God's value, you could see how that would radically change the way we think, love, and live. That's why, even at New Life Church, where I believe is, a, is, a, is an incredible church with God doing some amazing things, we have to stop from time to time and remind ourselves, what is a soul worth? Because when you capture God's heart on what a soul is worth, it radically should change yours. So when God finds the one that he's been searching for with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, when he finds the one, he celebrates. And that's something we want to be. We want to be a church that celebrates when the lost are being found. So we're, we're looking at God's heart through this whole, this whole series, and we're going to do that again today. All right? That's where we're going to go. Uh, and to help us get there, I want to I kind of talk a little bit about an analogy, about chess. Does anybody play chess? Any chess players? Okay, they're always super quiet people. So you never really know if they were here, right? Because they were just, they're like, they're the perfect people you want in a library, okay? So chess players. Now, I, my dad taught me how to play chess when I was just a teenager. I remember it. I'm in junior high school. My dad loved to play chess. I'm finally coming to the age where I can, you know, figure out all of this stuff. Because you got all these different pieces and players, and they all have to do different things. And so my dad would teach me, and he... He had great patience with me, and he would, you know, show me, like, here's how you should move, son, and here you should move this, and you should be thinking about this and thinking about that. But it was amazing that even with all of his coaching, he still beat me every time, right? And then there was a day, I remember, a couple of years later, into the journey, because it takes a long time to really grasp, you know, the complexity of that game. I remember the first day that I beat him, right? And like, a, like this teenager, man, you just want to go like, yes! man, I got you, dude, I got you, it's payback, right? And then, you know, my dad's like, yeah, man, that's great, way to go, son, that's incredible, man, I'm so happy for you that you beat me, and then we never played chess again, and so, <clears throat> all right, just joking, just joking, in fact, we had some of our greatest games of chess after all of that, right? But here's the thing about chess, is that when the game ends, it ends in what's called checkmate. Checkmate is where you don't have another move that you can make. You don't have another move. Like, you can't move a piece, just one, one square. Like, it's not going to help. Your, your king is captured. He's going down. There's no way to revive him. You're, you're stuck. And that feeling of checkmate is it's demoralizing. It, um, it brings hopelessness. It's a finale to the game. Right, And what you do in a game is that you start looking at your queen. You're like, what are the 12 different things my queen could do? No, that doesn't help. And so then you go on to the rook, and you move the rook, and no, the rook doesn't work. And then you move the knight up and over, and the knight doesn't work. And then you work your bishop, and you know, you're, you're sliding on whites and reds, and like that doesn't work. And then you go to your pawns, and you're like, if I just move a pawn, like one step, can that get me out of checkmate? And then you go to your king, and that doesn't work. And so you start all over with your queen again. Because if you're like me, you don't want to lose, right? And the person said checkmate, but is it real? you got to validate it. And so you're going through the board, man. It can take you a half an hour to go through the board to finally realize, yeah, I'm in checkmate. I'm in checkmate. See, checkmate is like being lost spiritually. When you're in checkmate spiritually, you can feel lost without options. 
Like, I'm here I am. I've got myself through this situation, and you got to own it, right? You just got to own it. Like, I got myself here. And so, you know, I don't have any more options. You can feel stuck. You can feel hopeless. And if you're here today and you're seeking God, but yet you feel like you're in checkmate, then this statement might be, might be true for you. you. You might have wanted to get out of checkmate, but every time you try, you discover really how trapped you are. And how demoralizing is it when you know you're not living the life that you want to live, but yet you don't feel like you can get out. So you stay in that life, that lost state of checkmate, until something devastating takes place. We've got good news for you today. We don't have to end in a devastation. There is another way out. If the lost, who are in checkmate, they will turn to God, He can work a miracle. Like, God doesn't want anyone to live in spiritual checkmate, church. God designed you, He designed me, and He designed humanity to rise above the sin that's put us in spiritual checkmate. Here's what Colossians 2 has to say. It says that you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature, because it was not cut away. That's where I want to focus my attention for a second. Um, Your sinful nature was not cut away. Let me come right back to it. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful your sinful nature was not yet cut away think with me for a minute like a hot air balloon you start feeling it with air right it's laying on the ground gets enough you know warm air in it that warm air wants to rise and so now the balloon is full what what's holding the balloon from just like all of a sudden just taking off and rising into the sky there's there's tethers on it right and there might even be sandbags Um, that are tied to it or something that's anchoring it to the ground and when you cut that away what happens to the hot air balloon it rises into the sky this in the same manner is what god wants to do for our lives that when we are found in spiritual checkmate god wants to come alongside and help us cut away the sin that holds us down so that we can rise above. So that scripture said that we were dead. We were trapped, stuck. We were in checkmate. But then it says that God's made us alive with Christ and he's canceled the record of our sin. He broke the checkmate. So God breaks the checkmate by lifting us up above the board, right? He moves us from a piece on the board to a player. That's what happens when we finally confess God, I'm in spiritual checkmate, and I don't know how to get out of it. I'm lost, and I need to be found. God takes us, and he lifts us up above the board, and he turns you into a player. That's what it means to be found. What it means to be found is to be turned from a piece to a player. That happens by God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. But listen to me. God doesn't just raise us up off the board just so that we can be free. He raises us up out of that sinful nature and sinful lifestyle, out of loss to be found, so that we can now, as found, go back and see. We can look down onto the board and we can see friends, coworkers, families, neighbors that are trapped in spiritual checkmate so that we can help lift them up as well. We're not their savior. Christ is their savior. 
but because we know the power of the Savior to lift, uh, lift us up out of checkmate, now our role is to work alongside him and to lift others out of checkmate. Now, this is exactly what Jesus did for a woman <clears throat> who was lost and caught in adultery in John chapter 8. So here's Jesus, right? He is, he's out and he's teaching in the, in the temple courts, the court uh, ground area of Jerusalem. Um, it was probably somewhere in the morning, and these religious leaders bring this woman who has been caught in adultery, and they drag her out, and they throw her at the feet of Jesus. And they simply say to Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus, uh, this woman's been caught in adultery, and they say these words in John. They say, she's been caught in adultery, right? What do you think we should do? Because the law of Moses says to what? Stone her, stone her. And then they turn to Jesus and they go, so Jesus, what do you say we do? So Jesus recognized, just like you do right now, that's a trap, right? Of course it's a trap. Here's one of the key reasons why it's a trap. First off, the last I checked to commit adultery takes two people. Where's the guy? Because in the Old Testament, it talks about the fact that when a man and a woman are caught in adultery, both of them are to be stoned. Now, you might not agree with that, but that was God's word, right? That was the law of Moses. You might go, that's harsh. That was the law. That's what God established. Sin has a penalty to it. So where was the man? So there's already a bias that's going on here. So here's what Jesus does in all of his wisdom. He doesn't say a word. He just kneels down and he starts to write in the sand. Now, you can paint your own picture of what he wrote in the sand. The Bible doesn't even give us a clue of what he wrote. But after he gets about maybe midway through his writing, he, he gets up and he basically says to them, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. Let him who has no sin. Like, if you don't have sin, then go for it. Like, you throw the stone. And then Jesus kneels back down and he begins to write in the sand. And as he's writing in the sand the second time, here's what happens. All of those who came to accuse the woman, they leave one by one and then jesus says these words jesus stood up again and he said to the woman where are your accusers didn't even one of them condemn you no lord she said and then jesus said neither do i go and sin no more powerful words guys powerful words this encounter with this woman really gives us the heart of god for the lost I mean, listen to it. You should hear compassion just pouring out of Jesus. Compassion. You should hear protection pouring out of Jesus. Like Jesus is protecting this woman from these religious leaders who are wanting to stone her to death. And here's God in flesh protecting her. That's really interesting to me. In fact, inside of me, this is just personally me, okay? All right? But I believe, I believe God causes some churches to grow more than others. And here's why some churches grow more than others. Because he's protecting the lost from the religious. Here's where we want to be found on that scale. We don't want to be ever become the church that God goes, you know, it's not safe to send lost people there. Because I'm going to send them into the den of lions. I want to send those who are searching after me to a place of life and a place of hope. Right? That's the kind of church we want to be. Amen? 
And that's the kind of church I believe we are. But we have to consistently, excuse me, be reminded that this is God's heart and we also should have the same heart. So what is all of this leading up to? What does this really teach us? If we look at John chapter 8, what really stands out to us? First would be this, that there's hope for the lost. There's hope for the lost. If you're searching after God today, there is hope. If you're found and you have friends who need to know Jesus, there is hope for the lost. And it's all wrapped up in really three words. Neither do I. When Jesus said those three words, they were powerful. It was a powerful statement, right? And it it came even before the death on the cross and the resurrection. It came before the price of sin had ever been paid. But Jesus said, we're your accusers. They're not here. Neither do I accuse you. But then he followed it up with the all-important statement, right? Go and do what? Go and sin no more. Stop. Like, it's not good for you. It's not healthy for you here, and it's devastating for you in a separation between you and me in eternity. But never, ever mistake those words, neither do I contemn you, for, for God to ever be overlooking sin or turning his eye away from sin or that God would somehow never punish you because of unconfessed, unrepented sin. Don't ever do that because Galatians 6 tells us this. <clears throat> Don't be misled, guys. Don't be misled, church. Right? You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature, but those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. That tells us right off the bat that there is a penalty and a price for our sins. However, that Scripture gives us great hope. It says those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life. That's what God wants. Jesus freed the woman so that she could live a worthy life before God, so that she could spend eternity with God. Jesus raised her out of her checkmate. Can you imagine her feelings and fear as she got thrown at the feet of Jesus, knowing that the law says to stone her? And can you imagine the fear? And then when she senses the embrace that Jesus has lifted her up and all of her accusers are gone, and she's now out of spiritual checkmate to do what so that she can live a life that pleases the spirit of god go and sin no more i mean she gets a second chance i guarantee you everybody in this room and everybody listening online and everybody in north platte and everybody in our senior high auditorium every one of us 100 percent, all of us would love to have a card that we can play from time to time right that would say uh i'm gonna play my card like i want a second chance on what i just said like, I just said something, I don't really want it, I want to take it back, play my, play my second chance card. Or we've done something where we wish we could pull out the second chance card and put it down the table and go, okay, hold on, let's rewind the tape, let's do this over again, I'm playing my second chance card. All of us would like to have that, right? And you probably could have used one this morning. The enemy is, he's sneaky at work, you know, in marriages, right before church starts. It's amazing what he does. And so, yeah, you can play this like, like card. And this woman gets this opportunity. She gets this opportunity to like have a second chance. And she's going to, I hope, I hope she goes and maximizes it. So 
What does it really mean for us? Well, look, we've got to respond to the lost like Jesus did and bring hope, right? I mean, that's the kind of people we want to be. Let's respond like Jesus. And if Jesus wasn't ready to judge her at that moment, then guess what? We are nowhere near capable of judging the lost because of the life that they're living. And if you're lost, you need to know that there's an extreme hope for you if you'll run to Jesus. And if you're found, then let's be a part of breaking the chains free from those that are in spiritual checkmate. Let's be a part of lifting people up and helping them be found. There is hope for the lost. But I think the other thing that really stands out to me, you know, um, from this passage is that the local church is the hope of the world, though. It's like it's here right now, today, that the Spirit of God is moving. It's here that we're lifting up the good news of Jesus. It's the local church where, you know, is the place where the found come and they rally to seek God. It's the local church. It's the place where it becomes a beacon of hope for the lost. The local church, it proclaims the truth and the power of Christ like we're doing right now. And it's through the local church that the chains of sin are encouraged to remain broken. Like, Week after week as we gather here, we gather in life groups, we're encouraged to keep the chains broken off of our lives. But the mission of the local church should never, it should never put a cap on what a soul is worth. And we should never say, it costs too much to reach those people. We should never say, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be too much energy, too much time to go and plant another church. Let someone else do it. Like we should never put a cap on what a soul is worth. So when you look at this green, green string, one of the questions you could ask yourself of like, what is a soul worth is this. Like, what kind of cap am I putting on what a soul is worth? And oftentimes, that's gonna, if we're really honest, oftentimes that's gonna come back to a real selfish piece for us. Like, I like this comfort. Or I enjoy this. Or I, you know, I don't really wanna get out of and I've come too far in life to maybe make a turn. You know, what is a soul worth? And we should never put a cap on that. The early church didn't, that's for sure. I mean, the early church, they went to the ends of the earth that they knew of, and they planted the local church and communities all over the known world. And through that local church, the Spirit of God had just moved in powerful ways, and communities were impacted and changed. They were following what we're encouraged to still follow to this day. In Matthew chapter 28, where... It's a famous scripture, but therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teach these new disciples to obey all of the commands that I've given you. That's the words of Jesus, right? I mean, and that's our mandate. And here at New Life, we've taken that mandate very serious for decades. And all we've been doing the last four and a half years is building on what God had already put in this church, a value to seek and save the lost and to make a disciple. That's good news. We're just taking it to a level where we're going, let's go plant new churches to make that happen. Like, let's go plant new churches and let's spread the good news everywhere. Let's, let's team up with missionaries that are around the world doing that. And so today, you get the unique privilege of actually hearing from one of our missionaries from the European region. I'll let him introduce himself. But he's been 
church planting, and God's been using them in a powerful way. And what he's been experiencing in the European theater is exactly what we've been experiencing here in Nebraska, except for there's some drastic differences in the heart of the people of Europe. And so hear about the heart of church planting around the world as you kind of like capture God's heart that the church is the hope of the world. Why don't you give it up for our missionary from Estonia, Nick Puccini. Yeah. Wow, it is a, uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be here at New Life Church. Thank you so much for partnering with us. As uh, Pastor Jeff said, we uh, are in Estonia, and just so you know, that, that's not a, a country that Disney made up for a princess movie. It's a real country. There's Google, look at it. It's uh, right by Finland, just south across the Baltic Sea. We're right on the Russian border. We're part of a, a region called Eurasia. And uh, we uh, initially went out to a country called Armenia. We were there for eight years, worked with church planting, started a Bible school. We, we uh, translated the first ever um, uh, study Bible. That's the word I'm looking for, study Bible in the Armenian language. But all that time, actually since I was 21 years old, God had been calling my wife and I, to plant a church. And I had gone out on uh, missions trips. Uh, many of you have maybe been on a trip overseas. Uh, we've actually had uh, an amazing team uh, come from New Life, and they're coming back this summer, and I'm excited about that. On that missions trip, I felt a call to missions. And now at 21 years old, I, f- I feel this call from the Holy Spirit to to plant a church someday. I never knew how those two would align. And we're in Armenia, and we had, we had everything that we could want as missionaries. We had 13 staff members. We had uh, large projects going on. Convoy of Hope was uh, investing uh, in some of the poorest communities in the country, and we got to be in all of those places. But that call to plant was so deep. Talk to our, our regional director who began to cast a vision throughout all of our countries uh, to go to uh, um, kind of an approach, we call it pioneer uh, missions or getting back to the frontier, going where uh, there are unreached people groups, unreached demographics. We have over uh, uh, 6,000 unreached people groups within all of our countries. And one of those countries was Estonia. And uh, Omar was telling us about the, the need there, the Estonian people, if you talk to an Estonian from Estonia, they will tell you that they are the least religious people group in the world. And I don't know if that's 100% true. Those stats change all the time. But literally, that is the, the, the national self-talk of the country. Everybody we meet there that's not a part of a church, they, they say, why are you here? Why are you planting a church? Why are you starting? We're, we're, we're the least religious people group in the world. I'm like, yeah, you're like the thousandth person to tell me that. And um, so we went, we, we visited, we prayed about it, and I had a hard time with this, to be honest with you. Go into a country that nobody's ever heard of. I was getting close to 30 years old by the time we were ready to move, and the Holy Spirit said, what this is about, it, it, it's not about you. It's, it's this, that message that God spoke to David. David, this whole kingdom thing is, is not about you, but through you will come the Messiah, Jesus was telling me, Nick, this is not about you, but people need to meet me. And so we moved our family there. We met with the national leadership. They had a, a burden and a, a vision to plant churches. They hadn't planted new churches in, in over 10 years. And uh, he said, you know, we can't really help you much. We're, our, our, our movement here is about 30 churches. The average church size is about 20 people. We don't have the finances of the people to help you. 
And I was actually fired up by that. That, for me, was a green light from the Holy Spirit. So we gathered a team. We had 12 missionaries. They moved there with us. And we started to meet people. There's no low-hanging fruit for evangelism there. There's nobody that's looking for just a little bit better church to go to. Most of the people that we meet have never met a Christian before. One of those young ladies that our team came in contact with, her name was Kristen, and she was a school teacher. And uh, the, the missionary family, their kids were in her classroom and they just began to build a relationship with her and, and invite her. And she just happened to be in a time of her life that there was crisis. Um, she had a miscarriage. We didn't know that at the time. There was maybe physical signs of that. And there was a church planting team member who just reached out to her with, a, with an open heart, with a smile, and just kept inviting her and inviting her. She came to Alpha Course a few months later, gave her life to Christ. She was baptized. She is now training to be a pastor. She just led our Alpha Course, our ninth Alpha Course. We had our largest ever, 30, over 30 people on the Holy Spirit Retreat Weekend, which is just phenomenal. And so today, uh, church is three and a half years old, Focus Church. We've sent two church planning teams out of our church we have 10 young Estonians that have come to Christ in our church that are training for full-time ministry. We have over 200 people and average attendance in these last six months. God is doing amazing things, all because a church like this, Pastor Jeff said, we want to partner with you. We want to make it possible. I was just reading recently how much it costs for Paul and Barnabas to go on that first missionary journey. It was tens of thousands of dollars that that church had to pull together. And do you realize that we're in a, in a stage here in America, probably 10 or 15 years behind what is happening in, in Europe. Europe is secular. Their, their religion is materialism. You know, material things, jobs and homes and money will, will provide satisfaction. That, that worldview is where America is heading in the next 10 or 15 years. If we don't Take the opportunity to plant. In Estonia, the Soviet Union came in and occupied. You couldn't train pastors. You couldn't preach the gospel. You couldn't plant churches for 50 years. And that's why now less than 1% of the Estonian population has a relationship with Jesus. And we are going in that direction here in America. But we have the opportunity. There is freedom in America. Tell my brother Chris, as you drive around, you see the wealth of this country. It's a stark contrast. And God has given this up opportunity. What if Nebraska was at the heart of America, was a story of a church that said, we're not going to let our, our state go there. We're not going to let our state go where Europe has gone. What if a church like New Life said, we're going we're gonna to take this on. We're going to reverse the trend. And I believe that with a heart like you have to find the lost, to bring hope into people's lives like a life like Krista. You're going to see that story repeated hundreds and hundreds and thousands of times. I want to say thank you guys so much for investing us in us. We love you. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. Absolutely, man. <clears throat> wow. Well, um, I've got about like 30 seconds of voice left. I'm going to cram that into three minutes. And we're going to wrap up, all right? So <clears throat> I have no idea what happened to my voice. It just kind of drifted away. So I apologize for that. Aren't, I don't know about, about you, but when I hear from our missionaries like Nick, I'm so proud. I'm so proud. Like, 
Nick is an example of the type of missionary we team up with right now, right? Like that's who we're looking for. We're looking for guys that have, and gals, that have that kind of heart, that kind of passion, and that type of an anointing um, on their life. So again, this series though is about you discovering God's heart. What's a soul worth? So let me give you a couple of practical things as we wrap up. First off, maybe this. Pray with us about the next church plant. Where should New Life plant another church? Whether it's in Nebraska or it's around the world. Where, God, are you calling us to plant another church? Pray for clarity there. All right? But here's something else. You personally, prepare your finances so that you can join with us when the ask comes, because we're going to need finances to pull it off. So start preparing, like create margin in your life so that when God comes along and he goes, hey, we got a moment, let's strike. You're able to go, yeah, look, here's what I got to give. That's like what a soul is worth. But if you want to start being a part of that financially now, then, then start giving the missions at New Life. Like when you give to missions at New Life, you're supporting missionaries like Nick, his family, and others. So give, because we're planting churches around the world, and you may not even be a part of it. But lastly, boldly ask God if he wants you to participate in the next church plant. And if God says to you, yeah, I want you to participate, like you personally, then let one of our pastors know so that we can get you plugged into the right equipping and training so that you can be ready to go when God asks us to go. God obviously has a big heart for the lost. And guys, we want our value system to be the same as God's. So as we come to this time of worship, let's come with this heart. God, change my values to match up with your value for what a soul is worth. Let let what a soul is worth to you, God, become what a soul is worth to me. And may everything I own and have and acquired and gifts and talents in my life, may they be used for your glory so that the lost might be found. Why don't you stand with me and let's wrap up in prayer. Lord, this is a great day. It's a great day to be in your presence. It's a great day to come and worship you here, um, whether we're in Kearney or we're in North Platte. What a privilege it is to worship you. Lord, I I pray that we would never, ever forget the gift that we have through Christ, that we would seek you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And today, as we come to worship you, Lord, may you take us, take us to a place in our journey where our values, they look like yours. God, we don't want want you to come and meet our values. as, As humans, we're selfish. As humans, we... We maybe will never take the kind of giant leap and giant step that that you will take and that you want us to take. So may may our faith, may it look, may it be completely dependent on you, but may our values look more like your values. So let your heart penetrate our heart this morning and have your way in our life. In Jesus' powerful name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.